Holy Spirit. Amen. Man, all right. Well, you may be seated again. Welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. And it's awesome to see you guys here uh, in person uh, this morning. If you're with us online, thank you for uh, joining us. And today uh, is a day that I've just been, been fired up for, for for a couple months, kind of getting ready to go uh, for this. And, and if you didn't know, like last fall and into this winter, we were in Ecclesiastes, which was a, uh, an awesome book, and I think uh, gave us a sense of purpose and meaning. But, but let's be clear, like Ecclesiastes at times feels a little bit like outside right now right? A bit gray, a bit cloudy. And so as we transition into, you know, just hoping and trying to, to will spring to happen, uh, we're starting off a, a new series uh, in the book of First Peter called Rooted, Living Scattered, Not Shattered. And so uh, as you came in today, uh, if you haven't grabbed one already, uh, at some point grab one of these discipleship guides. We put this together so that we would know where we're going to be at each week walking through this uh, series as well. We get to use it for fellowship groups with uh, uh, study questions and prayer and all that. And then um, this guy here with with all the gold leaf on the front, this is just a scripture journal. Uh, I say just, but it it has the book of First Peter in it with space for you to, to write notes It's got kind of pretty pictures because, you know, that makes you happy uh, when you see that stuff, right? Uh, And so just want to make sure that we're getting God's word in your hand, that that this is something that you're you're meditating on, that when our year began, we said, hey, we want to be deeply rooted in God's word, and this is part of how we're trying to do this today. And so if this is your first Sunday or your first Sunday in a while, it's a great day to be here with us. And so if you have your Bibles or or you got your little scripture journals, you can turn to 1 Peter, uh, and, and as we do... I would just want to kind of frame um, the, the thesis uh, around why we're looking at this. That, that when we consider our lives, that they have been, and uh, uh, cultural moment we've been in, they've been characterized by, by personal trials, right? Some of us have had relationship issues, or there's been marriage challenges, or, or whatever. There's been political unrest, right? Any cultural upheaval? There's been health concerns, Relational turmoil, economic uncertainty, this the varying degrees of, of individual and, and corporate trauma. I mean, let's not pretend that we're not part of a people that haven't been traumatized over the last two years by, by just constant fear and oppression of everything that's been going on in the world. There's real trauma there. And while our society maybe thought, hey, things were kind of peaceful, things were prosperous, um, our faith, in a sense, it, it has been uprooted, at least in particular in, in institutions. Our faith has been uprooted um, even maybe in our neighbors, right? Like, oh, I thought we were all unified, and then, oh, now we got like 95 ways to divide over the last two years. And so I think it's eroded some of that. It's been shattered, our faith in others or institutions, and it's been replaced with fear and distrust and division. I promise there's good news here. Don't worry, don't worry. But while these these societal fissures have always been present, what's happened in the last two years is they've just gotten highlighted, They've just been, been, been brought to the surface and, and the turmoils kind of seem like waves that are unrelenting and overwhelming. And, it, and what it's caused in us is being highly reactive. You know what I mean when I say highly reactive? Right, just like, you're just a little on edge. Your, your, your reserves for conflict are gone. Your, your, your kind of, the, the nice veneer of the Northwest is just kind of like, put a mask on it, leave me alone right? We, we just, 
We're, we're, we're wore out. And, and part of that is, it can lead us to discouragement. At times it can lead us to despair. And, and we find that the strength and stability of whatever we've tried to root ourselves in has been ineffective to, to lead to flourishing. And, and it's these times of trial, these times of difficulty, where we start to say, oh man, I don't know if my roots are as deep as I thought they were. I don't know if my roots are connected to a source that is life-giving. And so we find ourselves needing to be rooted in something deeper to make it through the storms of, of life. And so we need a, a real hope that goes beyond our circumstances. Uh, we, we feel alone and isolated, so we need to be part of a, part of a people that have a, that have a purpose, that, that have a shared uh, identity and, and sense of, of mission and, and whatnot. And so we want to be united for a greater purpose because we just see greater and greater tribalism, right? Like, I mean, you can go find you know, your, your one little Facebook page that like fits up every little aspect of your life that you like. But then you realize there's like 50 people in it for the whole country. And you realize, man, I just feel disconnected from the people next to me. So we need to be unified. And we need good news that is greater than current events. We need to be rooted in what is real and true and eternal. And the reason we need to be rooted in something that is real and true and eternal is that when we're rooted in the transcendent, we don't become reactive to what is temporary. When we're rooted in the transcendent, we don't become as reactive to what is temporary. Right? Because those things come in, it's just, oh man, just, it's like firing off. You're just getting, getting beat up. And so we can be rooted, we said at the beginning of the year, because Christ is in us. He gives us a chance of, and a sense of hope, a sense of identity, a sense of purpose, a sense of destiny. And so if we're going to survive and thrive, we need to be deeply rooted. And yet, uh, we even said at the beginning of the year, kind of setting the tone for, for who we wanted to be as a church, we said, hey, we, we are, at, we're, we're trees, we're planted, but we're not in like a nice orderly orchard. We're actually scattered across a wilderness. So we do feel a bit distant. And in this inhospitable wilderness, we better have some deep roots if we're going to remain faithful and fruitful in the face of adversity. And so as we begin this book, what I want us to do is, is, is consider today as, as a foundation for where we're going to go, the existential question of who am I? Who are you? Who are we? And as we ask that question, we're going to look at 1 Peter for some answers to that. It's an existential uh, question of identity that we all wrestle with. And we need to understand who we are first if we're going to understand how we're going to navigate what we do and then how we're going to respond to the world around us. And so we, we grow and we change in our lives. Our sense of identity needs to be, remain in something rooted that, that is strong. And so over the next, we're, we're only in two verses today. You're like, oh, it'll be a short one. <laughs> we'll see. Um, right. But we're going we're gonna to look at who is Peter, right? He's the guy writing this letter, powered by the Holy Spirit. We're going we're to look at who, who is he writing to, and, and in some sense, who are we? We're going to look at who is God, and finally, what does, that, what does that mean for us? How do we react and respond? And so um, turn your Bibles to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to break it up into a few bits, okay? This is God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, 
according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience of Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Okay, so guys, this is the intro. You're going to get kind of a little bit of, bit of homework. You're going to get a little bit of homework. You're going to get a little bit of history in this. And so we're going to start with just, just who's Peter, right? The first part, as he, this is a letter written to churches, and the first part, he just identifies himself. Hey, I'm Peter. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's the first half of verse 1. Right? Matt, last week, Matt Nickel, our associate pastor, he preached um, on kind of how Jesus called Peter uh, from his life of being a fisherman to kind of being on mission for him. And, and if you know your Bible, like Peter's nickname is The Rock. And so Simon Peter, he's this, he's this hardworking Jewish fisherman. He's from a, a poor region in Galilee. He was called by Jesus to become a disciple. And then Peter, um, in the New Testament, we see him spend three years just living with following Jesus and being a part of his crew and actually being a very influential part of it, being a a leader, in fact, in it. He was bold. He was brash. He was foolish. And and he, like, like this guy saw all, heard all of Jesus' teachings. He saw all of Jesus' miracles. And and he, he endured with Jesus, and he saw Jesus suffer and die on the cross. And, and, and I love Peter as an example, as a disciple. I mean, I love Paul. Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament too, but what I love about Peter is, you know, Paul, like, Paul's got all the school, right? Like, Paul's got like a doctorate in theology. And Peter's like, yeah, I was a fisherman. And um, I say things that are like really kind of awkward. You know, I get, I get in trouble a lot. He's imperfect, he's impulsive. And he's like us, he's like, he's like me. And, but yet he desired to be faithful. He experienced failure. And, and Peter gives all of us great hope that if, if God can use a guy like Peter that we'll see here in a, a minute, then, then he can use me and he can use us and he can use you. And so I've got kind of, call them eight F words for Peter. And so we'll, we'll walk through these real quick. And you can take notes if you want. They're also in that discipleship guide. I'll walk through these quickly. Number one, Peter's a fisherman who becomes a fisher of men. Right, so we say that, right, he's called by Jesus, he's, he's on the, the lake and his vocational job, so he's not, this isn't fishing vacation, this is fishing vocation, right, and, and he becomes the first disciples, and Jesus is preaching at this crowd by the lake, and like I said, Matt, Matt chopped this all up so great last week, but like, you know, Jesus says, hey, why don't you come out, I need to use your boat so I can preach, I mean, I would love to start that ministry, preaching from a boat would be rad, um, you know, not on a day like this, but like in the summertime, we should all just go to the lake, and it'll be great, um, and so Peter's out there, and after he's done preaching, Jesus says, hey, Peter, why don't, you, why don't you go fishing again? And Peter's an expert in fishing, and he's like, no, we didn't catch anything. And, and, but he still, like, begrudgingly obeys, right? Sometimes we just begrudgingly obey. And the response is like this overwhelming blessing that almost, like, floods the whole boat. They've got to get another boat in it. And the result of all of this is Peter says, well, I, I realize you're not just a good teacher. You're the son of God. And, and I realize, oh my gosh, I'm a broken sinner before a holy and just God. Like, you need to go away from me. I can't be in your presence. And Jesus doesn't respond with shame. Instead, he says, no, 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 Peter, you're going to be my disciple. And he drops everything and he follows him. He says, Peter, you're going to now, from now on, be a fisher of men. You're going to be on mission following me. Number two. Peter's fickle. 
You, you read the New Testament, you see this guy vacillating from faith and denial, rejection, receiving. At one point, he says, Jesus, you have the very words of life. Jesus, you are the Christ. Where else can we go? And then like a verse later when Jesus is preaching and he says, you know, Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be buried. He gets off the stage and Peter's like, hey, I got some sermon notes for you, pastor. Like, um, you can't say that. Super controversial. Don't say that. And Jesus just like in an instant flips and is like, um, get behind me, Satan. You have no idea what you're talking about. And so this is after Peter's seen like some things. He's heard some teaching. He's calling Jesus out. And so he's fickle. On the Last Supper, Jesus is serving disciples by washing their feet. And Peter's like, oh, I can't let you do that. You're, you know, you're, you're the leader. You're the Messiah. You're this guy. Like, you can't do that for me. And Jesus is like, well, hey, if I don't serve you, you aren't getting into the kingdom. And Peter's like, cool, wash all of me, bro. <laughs> like, no, no, like that is, that's way awkward. Like, Jesus is like, I'll stick with the feet. You can clean up the rest of yourself, right? Like, he's just fickle. He's, he's about all over the place. Number three, he's feisty. Peter's like the ultimate example of shoot first, aim second. Okay, so they're out in the storm at one point, and, and they're apart from Jesus, and Jesus is walking on water. We believe that. We believe Jesus is God, so he can do miracles. And he's walking on water, and Peter's first response isn't like, man, that's pretty cool. He's like, I can do that. And he like gets out of the boat, and the, the guy has enough confidence and faith, he makes it a few steps before he doesn't, right? And then he falls, and he falters, and Jesus has to save him. Later, He's like in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is getting arrested. There's like this whole cadre of soldiers. And Peter on his own pulls out a sword. And is like, you know what? I'm going to go to battle with all of the religious and governmental institutions in the world with this one sword. Just like we do on Twitter every day, right? Yeah, no, he pulls out the sword. He cuts the guy's ear off. Full Van Gogh. And then Jesus is like, Peter, you, you want to live by the sword? You're going to die by the sword. Jesus heals that soldier Peter's like kind of put back in his place for a second. All right, number four. We're going to move through these quick. He's famously failed. So like after that, like, hey, I'm ready to leave a, a, a revolution to, to overthrow Judaism and the Roman government, place Jesus as the king, over a few hours, he fulfills Jesus' prophecy that, Peter, you will deny me three times. One of the last times is just a teenage girl coming up to him and being like, hey, are you, are you, are you part of those guys? And he's terrified. And he's like, no, 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 I don't even, I don't even know him. And, and he denies Jesus, not once, not twice, but, but three times. And one of those times, the Bible says he saw Jesus looking, looking at him like, like in the eye. Imagine the shame of failing publicly, and Jesus is just looking at you as Jesus is taking a beating for you. And he's just like, that's it. God's done with me. I'm done. Number five, Peter's forgiven. Peter's for, forgiven. While he's reeling from the shame, a couple days later after the death of Jesus, he hears about an empty tomb and he, he starts running to that empty tomb. You can read the Gospel of John and John's like, Peter ran so fast to the tomb, but I beat him. You can see it. It's in the text. John's like, I got there first. 
He says it twice. It's hilarious. Totally bragging about it. He's like, I, I got there before Peter. Apparently Peter's not as good a runner as John. John's a good runner. We get it. But, but in this, he, he's like, if Jesus called the fact that I was going to fail, if Jesus called the fact that he was going to die, I remember Jesus also called the fact that he was going to resurrect. So maybe that empty tomb means that Jesus' death three days ago wasn't the end, but it's actually the beginning of a new life of, of hope. And so he finally has hope, and he goes and he sees the empty tomb, and he's, he's overjoyed. But he still remembers in the back of his mind, yeah, Jesus died, Jesus rose, but I'm still a failure. So he goes about fishing, and, 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 and as he goes fishing, he, he, he comes to the, to the shore in the morning, and there's Jesus cooking breakfast. I have to imagine it was amazing. Right, if Jesus cooked good wine, or made good wine, he didn't cook wine. Oh, he cooked wine? Oh. Cook with wine. All right. So if Jesus made great wine, he probably made a great breakfast. And, and as Peter's eating this breakfast with Jesus, Jesus forgives him and three different times says, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I do. Even though I failed. Go preach. Go teach. Tell people of the grace and mercy that comes when you follow me. So he's forgiven. You'd think like that was it. And from then on, Peter was just a rock star and never did anything wrong. But number six, Peter's flawed. After the restoration that he received from Jesus, even after he preaches this big sermon we'll talk about in a second, um, Peter, um, it was later in his ministry, he's still an imperfect disciple. You can read in the book of Acts that at one point, um, this vision from heaven comes down of, of Jesus like laying out like a sheet with like all of this food that had been off limits um, for the people of God, right? You can't have shellfish, you can't have scallops, you can't have bacon, and he like lays it all out, you know, bacon wrapped scallops probably, right? And it's like, eat, enjoy. Peter's like, yeah, this food's good. And then, and then Jesus just makes it really, really clear for him. By the way, this also means the gospel isn't just for the nation of Israel, but it's for all these other races. Even white people in 2022, you get the gospel. And so, like, you think, okay, Peter, Peter's going to like, he's going to start crossing some racial lines. He's going he's to be this apostle. And so he goes and he plants churches that are multi-ethnic. There was not a thing back then. And sadly, at times, it's not a thing now. But he's, he's in this multi-ethnic church, but then these like hardcore uh, Judaizers come from Jerusalem to visit uh, the church, and, and Peter's been eating and hanging around with people who were not of his race, but then when, when his people come, he, deny, he denies them. He's like, oh, I don't eat with those people. They're unclean, remember? There's generational sin between us and them. We don't hang out with those guys. And, and another apostle, Paul, had to actually call him out. I mean, we're talking after Peter's been in prison. We're talking after Peter's preached. He's planted a whole bunch of churches. And, and he's still not perfect. He still had issues he needed to work on. He still had failures and, and flaws that he went through because what he was doing was such a conflict with the gospel that Paul called him out publicly for being inconsistent. And it made the Bible so that we'd know but there's leaders even, that, and there's disciples who just, are, we're all in process. And so if you want to think about Peter, like, Peter's a guy, like, today, he would have been canceled, like, dozens of times. They would have been like, oh, yeah, but you, you see Peter's special on Netflix? You believe what he just said? Canceled. You heard Peter's recent podcast? Canceled. 
The problem is, Peter's on team Jesus, so he's actually uncancelable. When you're with Jesus, you are not cancelable. The culture might say you're done, but Jesus says, no, I, I got something for you. And so that leads us to number seven. I don't want to beat up on Peter because, man, Peter's a stud. He's faithful. He, he endured and had a long, impactful ministry. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He preaches a sermon in Jerusalem in Pentecost where there's like 20,000 people, and, and it said thousands became Christians that day. After that, the, the government and the religious people said, no, no, you can't preach Jesus anymore. Quit holding your church services. We've mandated no Jesus preaching. And Peter says, hey, you guys listen to whoever you need to. I'm going to listen to God. And he kept his church open. He kept preaching. And he kept engaging. He says, we have to follow God and not man. And he leads and he plants and he strengthens churches across the known world. And when he finally faces martyrdom in about like AD 65, 66-ish, they're like, we're going to crucify you just like Jesus. And he says, no, I ain't Jesus. Do not crucify me like my Lord. You're going to have to crucify me upside down. I mean, talk about a guy who finished well, who was faithful despite all this. And I think that's part of why Jesus, number eight, last F word here, he's the foundation of the church. Jesus in the Bible says, Peter, Petra, that means rock, I'm going to use you to build the church, and the gates of hell are not going to withstand. And, and, and Peter's not alone, he's not like a, a lone wolf guy. He's part of a crew. There's other disciples. There's other leaders. There's, there's other uh, people involved in the ministry, men and women working together. But, but he says, Jesus says, you're going to be the rock. You're going to be a living stone built by Jesus for Jesus. Has Peter sinned and failed? Absolutely. Is Peter flawed? Yes. But he's also been restored. He's been forgiven. And, and, and the resurrected Jesus in restoring Peter, he uses Peter to build his church that's gone on for a couple thousand years. That's crossed languages, that's crossed cultures, that's crossed geography, that's crossed time and space. Friends, if you're a Christian, do not fear a news report that says the church is in decline. Because for a couple thousand years, Jesus just says, no, no it's just growing might be on decline in this neighborhood, but not in that one. Might look different on this continent, but not in Africa, not in, in South America. I mean, like, you look at statistics, I mean, it's, it's supposedly in like 10 years there's going to be more Christians in China than there are in the U.S. God's church continues to advance. And he brings together and he builds it with really imperfect people, with really fickle people, with really flawed people. And just like Peter, we're all just relying on the perfect Jesus in our place. That's just the first word of First Peter. That's, that's just the Peter part. And he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. So you hear Peter and you know all the stories about how jacked up he is. But he's saying, hey, I'm not a perfect person. But I've been with Jesus that's what it meant in the New Testament. If it said, there's like the gift of apostleship, which is like leadership, kind of like casting vision, sort of like, where should we go next kind of deal? Like that's what we call small A apostle. Peter's capital A apostle. It was an office. It meant you either, no, it, just, it meant you've been with Jesus. You saw the resurrected Jesus. You experienced miracles of Jesus, heard the teaching of Jesus. You had firsthand experience with Jesus. So he said, hey, I'm Peter, that guy you've heard about. Go through my Twitter feed. You'll see plenty of stuff I should have deleted. But I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
So I've been with Jesus. So as he writes to this network of churches, yeah, he's not perfect, but he's writing with authority. It's the same authority you'd see in the Old Testament that would be given to a prophet saying, hey, as I'm speaking, I'm talking about Peter, not me, but as I'm writing, as I'm speaking, it's like an Old Testament prophet saying, this is what God's saying to us. So this is a letter, yes, but we believe as Christians, this is the word of God that impacts and influences and brings life to us. And so prophets would give words of warning and repentance, but also encouragement and endurance. So with humility and authority, Peter writes to give the church hope. This I hope is going to be a, a hopeful series. I don't mean to say it that awkwardly. We should have hope when we read these words as we walk through this book. So that leads us to the second half of, of verse 1. See, I told you, it's two verses, but it ain't going to be short. Second half of verse 1 says this. So Peter, the apostle Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in dispersion of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So, uh, so who's this to? We see this elect exiles. Like are these people who've been scattered across the world? Well, in a sense, but the people he's writing to, probably like some of us, were born in an area lived in an area, and are going to die in an area. They weren't necessarily like, oh, they used to live in Jerusalem, and now they're out here in, in Asia Minor. In fact, no, he's, he's talking about the fact that the Christians are scattered across the known world, and so they're scattered, yet we say not shattered, by the circumstances of the world. And, and, he, and he writes this uh, in kind of the, the middle 60s, so like AD 63, uh, in that kind of time frame. And it's written to this network of churches. And we have a map of where this is at, if we can put that up. And so if you see here, Peter, um, you'll see at the end of chapter 5, uh, he, he has this kind of loose reference to Babylon, but he's actually talking about Rome. So Peter's over here in Rome. And he's writing to these churches in what we call modern-day Turkey over here uh, on the right. And it's these regions that were known by the Roman names of Asia, uh, Cappadocia, Galatia, Pontius, and Bithynia. And, and most scholars believe that the order that that was written in was because this is how this letter was going to travel. It was going to go through this network of churches. So while, while individual fellowships of believers would be together, you know, hey, 10 people in this town, 100 people in this town, a couple dozen in this town, they'd all gather together, but they'd be hearing, you are alone. You are part of a network of churches that's scattered across the known world. We can keep that up for a second. And so, but, but he's writing from Rome. And Rome's the head of the known world. It's the capital of, of the, you know, the evil empire, if you will. And, and, and he knows, and he's following cultural trends, and he's like, whoa, things are getting kind of heated up against the Christians here in Rome. And he knows that culture flows from Rome. So as he's writing to these Christians that are out here in Asia Minor, in Turkey, he's like saying, hey, I want to prepare you. Things are getting rough in Rome. Things are, you know, there wasn't social media then, right? So it's going to take a while for these cultural trends to make their, their way through Greece and, and all that. And over there, he's like, so I want to prepare your hearts. I want to prepare you as Christians. The things might get harder. The things might get more intense. And in the midst of that, I want you to be joyful. In the midst of that, I want you to have perseverance. In the midst of that, I want you to, to endure. I want you to be rooted in who you are. And so, as, as he's doing this, and this letter's circulating around, he's, he's tying these Christians to the, to the Old Testament people of God. 
And that's where you see that word dispersion, because that was the idea of like, like God's people in the Old Testament got exiled because evil uh, empires had come in. And let's just be clear, the people of God were kind of evil too. They, they, they were faithful at times, but faithless a lot of the times. But they got scattered across the known world. That's, that's the diaspora. That's the, the scattering. And he's saying, as you navigate these tensions, I want you to know that you are both chosen and known by God, and you are chastised by the world. That there's going to be a tension you're going to feel because you're not in your homeland. But for these people, I mean, they, they grew up here. Like, like they, they wear flannel all the time because it's the Northwest. Like, this is what we wear. Right? You grew up in Texas, right? It's sundresses and slacks, right? And they're like, no, no, I know the language here. I know these people, but, but now that I follow Jesus, I feel this disconnect in some regards because I, I, I'm part of this culture around me, but I'm also distinct and different from it. How, how am I going to navigate this? And so they're chosen and known by God. That's what it means to be elect. And they're exiles. So they're far from home in a hostile land. They're honored by God and shamed by the world. They're hurting and despairing. They're, they're wrestling with a culture that is for sure opposed to Jesus. And the, and the reason that it's, that it's opposed to Jesus is that, that Rome was like super cool with all the gods. I mean, Rome literally had a, a pantheon of gods. You can worship any god you want as long as the state is number one. As long as Caesar is your true lord. And so in that context, the reason that, 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 that persecution was starting to kind of get a little more intense, the reason that things were getting a little more difficult was because Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, it wasn't that it was a new religion or a different sect or a different kind of culty thing. It was, like, it was like, hey, the thing that was causing the opposition to Christianity and the culture was that it declared that there was a king overall, and that wasn't Caesar. That it declared that there's one God, not many. That there's one way to salvation, and that's by the grace and mercy of the God who created us. And where Roman gods were, were ones that needed to be um, like, like kind of appeased or, or manipulated to bless you, like, oh, I did something wrong, I better appease God's wrath, or, or man, I want something, I better do something good so that these gods will bless me. Our God, the God, functions totally differently. Like, yeah, there's wrath that needs to be stayed, but I'm going to take care of it with my sacrifice. There's blessings that are needed, but you're not going to be able to earn them, so I'm just going to give them to you. That's grace. That's mercy. And so these people needed to be equipped to endure and flourish. They needed hope. And so they're scattered, like I said, in this dispersion. Later in 1 Peter, we're going to see that these people are brought together, it says, as a holy priesthood. They're being built as a spiritual temple to God. And so there's all, going to be all these Old Testament callbacks where, where Peter's going to be like, hey, look, I, know, I know what you know in the Old Testament. Let me tell you about how that applies to us as the church for them and, and for us today. That they're going to need to be faithful in their relationships. That He wants to root them in their present identity in Christ. He wants them rooted in their future with Christ. He wants their lives lived now for Christ. He wants them to have both hope and holiness. And he's realistic. Suffering is real. Trauma is real. Pain is real. Tension is palpable. But so is hope. But so is restoration. So is life.
And so that's, that's where we, after all this kind of intro, start to ask ourselves, like, who, well, who are we? If you're a Christian, and this, he's writing this to, to Christians, so if you're not, that's fine. Like, we're so glad you're here. We want you to, to meet Jesus. We want you to know God's word. He's writing to people who've said, no, my identity is in Jesus, what he's done for me. So that means that whether you were in Cappadocia, you know, 2,000 years ago, or, or whether you're, you're, you're in Carnation today, that you are an elect exile. That you have a paradoxical identity where you're chosen by God, chastised by culture. Gathered together in Christ, yet scattered in the world. Part of a new kingdom, yet you're in a foreign land. Strangers in a familiar place, but, but you're destined for a forever home that none of us have ever seen. That none of us have ever known. I mean, isn't that crazy? Like, we're just, we spend all our, our life here or somewhere else, right? Uh, but then, we're, like, when the new heavens and new earth come, like, we're going to be in a place forever that we've never known? We're going to feel like strangers there? No, we're not going to feel like strangers there because we're going to finally be home. Any disconnect you feel now, any, any sense of being a stranger you feel now, gone. Because you're going to be home. And, and we need to be able to embody and embrace the idea of elect and exiles at the same time. And the reason is, is if you forget one of those, it gets wonky. Here's what I mean. If you're like, yep, part of the people of God, but I'm just exiled, far from home. Man, I didn't like the school board election. I hate the gray. Like, inflation's terrible. This, I don't like it here at all. Like, if you, you're just gonna fall into despair. Discouragement's okay. Discouragement happens. Discouragement's real. But if you only think you're exiled, then, then you're going to be in despair. If you only hold on the, to the elect, I'm the chosen person of God. This world, going to burn. Leave it alone. Right? Let's just, we'll go hold up. We'll make a big compound out in the woods. You know, we'll just completely disengage from the rest of the world. And you forget you ain't home yet. And you get filled with pride. I'm the elect. And you forget that it's by the grace and mercy of God alone. And you forget there's other people that need to hear and know the grace and mercy of God alone, found in Jesus. And so you disengage from the culture. I'm not going to build a business. I'm not going to vote. I'm not going to raise kids. No, no. You are an elect exile. We embody both of these. Another way of saying this in this comprehensive identity is, is we're sojourners and saints. Sojourner is not a word that we use very often. It's a very archaic word, but it's the idea of somebody who's not in their homeland. They're not from here. They're not going to stay there forever, but while they're here, they're rooted. So they're not passing through. They are, in a sense, passing through. But while they're here, the roots are going to run deep. Saint isn't, I mean, the Catholics use it, but, it, but as, as Protestant Christians, we, we, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, the sainthood of all believers. That's an identity we've been given by God. If you are in Christ, your identity is no longer sinner. It is saint. Do you still sin? Yes. Are you imperfect? Yes, because we're not yet perfect. We're not yet home. But we're sojourners and saints. And we're part of a Christian church across all places and times, it will always find itself in trials and difficulties, even, even at times persecution. And, and in the great suffering, we're given this greater hope because we're not alone. 
We might be living scattered in the world. We might you know, feel like maybe we're a small church in an area farther away or whatever. But then we remember, no, we're part of a global church. We're part of a network of churches with different names and different flavors all across the known world. So yeah, you're scattered, but you're not alone. You have your local church. You have people in your community group. You have friends. Like you don't need to be isolated. And our church is not isolated. Our church is loved. We're part of a network of churches in this county, in this region, in, in, across the world. Um, later this week, I'll, I'll post a video of a bunch of pastors um, in um, Burkina Faso who just finished three years of training, and they, they, they all got uh, kind of commissioned, ordained, graduated, and they're going to plant churches all across Burkina Faso, and, and we've helped support that happen. We're part of that church. They're part of our church. And so we're part of a global church with people of every tribe, tongue, nation, and, and we're facing unique universal challenges, yes, but, but, but we're, we're going to be unbroken in a broken world. Because we all have Jesus as our chief shepherd who loves us, who protects us. And so in this world we might be scattered, but we're not shattered when we're rooted in Christ. And that leads us to the next verse as we, we look for a second at who God is in this. We know Peter, we know ourselves, I hope, and it leads us to verse 2. It says, the elect exiles, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, the obedience of Jesus Christ with the sprinkling of his blood. So who's God? This is why I'm saying that in Rome, this was very controversial. Today, it's very controversial. In these first verses, he's talking about what we as Christians call the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Trinity, God, one God, three in one. Do I know how it all works? No. But we've got some clues here. We've got some understanding of this identity piece that this one God, three in one, saves and this sustains. And, and, and it impacts, He impacts our identity. Number one, God the Father. What's a father supposed to be? Loving intentionality. That's what a father's supposed to be. So that means that if you have a father who's in heaven, you're loved intentionally. That's a good father. He protects, he provides, he has presence for his children. And because God's eternal, when, when, when we get unrooted with the uncertainty of the world, we've got a father who's rooted knowing the entirety of eternity. So where we're uncertain, we rest in his certainty because he's a good and loving father. So we are loved intentionally. Number two, God the Holy Spirit. He says that we're sanctified. That's a word that means clean and set apart. It means pure. It means powerful. And, and, and so we've been chosen, not because, you see this foreknowledge of God, it's like, hey, I, I knew you before you were born. I knew you before the foundations of the world. Why did I choose you? Oh, because I'm one of the clean ones. He's like, no, 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 no. I chose you because you're going to need the sanctification, the cleaning of the Holy Spirit. No, I'm, I'm perfect. No, 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 no. Actually, that's pride, um, and that's sin, and that defiles, but I'm going to make you clean and undefiled. God, I'm weak. I, you shouldn't choose me. I know you're weak. That's why I chose you. I'm going to strengthen you and empower you with the Holy Spirit. God, I don't know if I can finish. I don't know if I'm going to run this race. No, I know you're not. 
But he who began a good work in you is faithful and just to complete it. So I'm going to empower you for endurance in the midst of this world. Our sin that we've done, our sin that's done to us, it defiles us. But we've been chosen to be clean. We've been made holy to live holy. And so we're empowered to live new lives. Number three, God the Son, Jesus Christ, Savior, King of God's people. It means that we're, we're actually not just known by Jesus, yes and amen, but we are led by Jesus. We are loved by Jesus through his sacrifice. We may be disobedient to Jesus, but he's been perfectly obedient for us. And that's when we talk about Jesus as a sacrifice. When it talks about the, the sprinkling of his blood, it's an allusion to God's people after they've been taken from slavery in Egypt. They're brought across the Red Sea. They've been saved. Egypt's done. They're in the wilderness. And, and a sacrifice takes place. And Moses, in, in the sacrificial animal, he, he sprinkles some of the blood on the people to say, you're clean. Not through your sacrifice, but through God's sacrifice for you. You're empowered not by your strength, but by God's strength. And so he's saying you're part of the clean people of God. You might be in the world, but you have a king who's reigning in heaven. You might be scattered, but you've got a good shepherd. You are redeemed. You are reconciled. You are at peace with God. So we are chosen based on the Father's past plan. We're purified by the Holy Spirit's power in us. We follow faithfully because of the Son's work to save us on the cross. His future promise to return is what gives us hope and our eternal identity. Your eternal identity will impact your present reality. Your eternal identity will impact your present reality. So I want you to ask yourself, who are you? Where is your citizenship? Who is your king? Who is your savior? I pray it's Jesus Christ. Because there's, there's this great hope there because it, it helps us see what God's accomplished and what he hopes for us as we live out our identity. Last little phrases here, guys. Last verse and then we're done. End of verse two says this. The outworking of our identity is elect exiles. The outworking of the power of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit choosing us, sanctifying us, empowering us, giving us purpose, is for this. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. What is God accomplishing in our identities in him? Exponential blessing. Right, you might think like, well, this is formal Bible writing. You know, just to the elect exiles, may grace and peace abound. Let's get to the real stuff. There's not a, unused word in this introduction. He wants us to know that this is the outworking of our identity. That grace is that gift that we don't earn, but we get to embody. That peace is in the absence of conflict. That God, as with us and sinners, like that conflict is over, but it's more than that. It's the presence of wholeness. So what does that mean for us? Like, what does that add up to in terms of our identity? In two short verses, what do we learn about our identity? Well, it means we are chosen by God, rejected by the world, scattered in our communities, gathered into a church as part of the church because as a father we're known and loved, because as the Holy Spirit we're clean and empowered, because of Jesus Christ we're sacrificed for, we are led 
We are recipients of grace. We are conduits of grace to those around us. We are people who, we, we've been hurting, but now we're being healed. Jesus has been broken. We're going to be made whole. And it's for the purpose of us being on a mission of multiplying that good news of the gospel. Of telling other people who feel scattered and are about to be shattered, no, there's hope. Other people who feel like, I, I don't know my citizenship. And he's like, no, you're a citizen of heaven. For people that are like, you don't know what I've done. <laughs> Let me tell you what Peter did. He wrote a letter and he said, hey, there's hope in Jesus. You don't know what's been done to me. I know you've been defiled. But now you've been sprinkled clean by the blood of God. Sacrificed for you. You are no longer what's been done to you. You are what has been done for you on the cross. And that's good news. You're like, okay, that's, I get my identity. How does that help me navigate this world? Because man, last week was rough. Next week might be rough. You know, we got, I mean, there's stuff in Ukraine. There's, there's stuff going all over the world. There's st stuff in Canada. There's stuff in, in our area. Like, what, how am I going to navigate all this? Regardless of our present circumstances, we're assured that God is at work, giving grace to his people, making peace for his people. He multiplies that grace individually. Like, there's grace for you. There's grace for your families. There's grace for us as a church. There's grace for us as the churches, as the people of God. Our hearts and our flesh and the world all seem to work against that, that hope. So when the enemy says you're a sinner, you say, yep, saved and sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus. When you go through the world and you just feel like, I'm a homeless orphan, nobody, nobody loves me, my relationships are in shambles, I'm isolated, I'm alone, you remember you're an adopted son or daughter and you are promised a forever home. When the world multiplies division, we press into our God-given unity as the people of God in the Holy Spirit. When the world multiplies fear and intensity and uncertainty increases, we multiply faith. When intensity goes up, we calm down. And we rest in the certainty of the goodness of God the Father. Where the world promises, if we all just get on board together, we can have a heaven on earth through, through just a humanistic, utopian, totalitarianism. When that's happening, we respond by praying his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we get to work acting that way, bringing peace, preaching mercy, resting in the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. Where the world multiplies disobedience and defilement, we multiply grace. And we live out spirit-fueled obedience. And where the world says, you can make your own identity. We say, no. I'm going to rest in the identity of the one who made me. When the world multiplies persecution, we multiply perseverance. And I, and I know that can feel like a little rah-rah, like let's go charge the next hill. But it's not that. We don't need to charge a hill. We don't need to take a hill because we rest in the good news of the gospel. 
that Jesus Christ already went to the hill for us. That he took our sin. And on that hill, he paid for our sin on the cross. And we're about to, to take communion. If you're in Christ, and we're going to remember his body broken for us so that we could have wholeness. His blood shed for us so that we could be clean. So be rooted in your identity. Don't worry about taking the next hill. Rest in the fact Jesus took the hill for you on the cross. Be resolved as we wait for Jesus to return and restore all things in a new heavens and new earth. And until that comes, I want all of us to be rooted in our identity as we simply trust Jesus.